This is Steve Taylor for the Rear Grandy Guardian. We're in McAllen, Texas today for the latest in our Meet the Candidates series. And I'm very pleased to say that I'm meeting up with Jay Clayberg, who is the candidate for Land Commissioner on the Democratic side. Um, I must admit, I don't know too much about the work of the Land Commission, a little bit, but uh, Jay's going to fill me in there and explain to... Um, to the listeners, we're going to talk about who Jay is, his background, his connections to South Texas. We're going to talk a little bit about what the Land Commission does and uh, what sets him apart from um, his rival for the post. And we should all remember that this is going to be, um, we're going to get a brand new Land Commissioner because our current Land Commissioner, is he still our Land Commissioner? Uh, George P. Bush. Yeah, towards the end of the year he'll be uh, retiring because he chose to run for another seat. He wasn't successful, but he's not going to be on the ballot for Land Commissioner anymore. So, Jay, uh, it's great to meet you. Um, so pleased to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be the about the eighth time that we've been down to, to the Valley during this campaign since we launched in November. And it's, it's, it's always good to be down here because we can really talk about a lot of the issues that even though people may not understand what the General Land Office is, it actually touches their lives in, in really important ways. Yeah. Well, we want to get into that. We want you to explain why the Land Commission is important. But first, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you did before you, you decided to run, and I do, I do understand that you've had business developments along the border. You are a South Texas native, so tell us, first of all, um, about your upbringing and um, your, your path to this point. Sure. I, I grew up on the King Ranch, uh, which is about 825,000 acres just outside of Kingsville, and then that spreads south. Uh, just north of the valley. Uh, my ancestor was originally uh, here in Brownsville uh, in the valley as a, a steamboat captain and we were talking about cotton a little bit earlier, uh, got involved in that and then um, my family's been basically managing the same piece of property for the last 200 years. Uh, so I, I went to school there, I worked there, grew up there uh, and then ultimately spent some time in uh, the Brazilian Amazon uh, was doing some landowner-based um, grassroots conservation work down there and decided to come back to Texas. I was in El Paso for about eight years and helped build uh, a real estate company that had uh, NAFTA corridor-related assets, uh, industrial buildings and land from Tijuana to Chihuahua down to Reynosa and Monterey and then on the, the U.S. side as well. Um, had about 13 million acres of, uh, or 13 million square feet of industrial space and about 20,000 acres of land. So understand that there's real, you know, there are real opportunities here along the, the Texas-Mexico border. It's very misunderstood by folks that don't live here. Uh, and I think there are great opportunities uh, for these binational communities to really talk to and speak to the rest of not just the state but the country about really what makes this place special. Uh, so spent about eight years there in El Paso and then I went to business school at UT um, where I focused primarily on um, entrepreneurship and, and land management. I worked for the National Park Service, uh, did a business plan for the Grand Canyon and then spent about eight years as associate director for Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation where I managed land for them. I, I did 
the largest uh, land transaction for conservation purposes in Texas history, and then managed that uh, property about what ended up being about 30,000 acres on behalf of the state. And then really saw, you know, if you look at Texas, we're 95% privately owned. Uh, we only have, of, of the 5% that's publicly owned, only about 2.5% is accessible to the public. So you think about Boca Chica, you think South Padre, you think about Padre Island National Seashore. We just don't have a lot of uh, publicly accessible space, and so I tried to address both that and we lose about 200,000 acres a year of working lands. Uh, and so I built a business that's very much like an Airbnb for private ranches. And that was a few years ago. Today we've got about a million acres of land that's accessible uh, to the public and it's an incentive to landowners to keep their, their property together. So the natural progression for me in, in understanding our natural resources and really what the General Land Office can do, that, that it can do a lot of the work that I've been doing really at scale. Uh, and so that's what got me interested in, in running for this office. Let me go back to something you said there about your um, work in uh, El Paso and, and how you um, built a business up um, with Maquilas uh, or factories both sides of the of the border um, coinciding with the growth of NAFTA if you still pay attention to to that industry and that part of our economy down here you'll be very much aware just how just how explosive the growth is here and um, with USMCA now replacing NAFTA some opportunities there uh, the disruption in the supply chains in China because of the pandemic. It just seems that you know every economic development meeting I go to, uh, there's there's the growth being predicted and, and growth being seen with new uh, maquilas popping up all the time. Yeah. Um, do, do you pay attention to that still? And um, what do you what do you know about our South Texas economy? Yeah, I think a lot about um, the economic engine that our binational communities are, that uh, we've got a, a tremendous opportunity and relationship with Mexico. We've got a large portion of trade that's done not just between Texas and Mexico, but the United States and Mexico, and, and exactly what you're talking about in terms of not just um, economic independence, nearshoring, uh, because of supply and supply chain issues, but also energy and food dependence, um, independence, and where I think we're going. We, when we started this company 20 years ago, I think we were a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, you saw a lot of bulky items like refrigerators. You saw uh, real-time um, work that was being done on cell phones, for instance, at the time coming to Mexico because you could do that remanufacturing at a very quick pace. and and we saw growth, but not like you're seeing now, because I think with the semiconductor and the chip shortage, with um, the need to ensure that we're producing our own food here in, in North America, I think we're going to continue to see that. And we just have to make sure that we don't let politics get in the way, frankly, um, that we see these opportunities and we have in Texas, you know, thinking about land, we got 174 million acres of land, and we got the ability to be energy and food and fiber 
independent. We also have a, um, a coastline. We happen to be a, a state that's a coastal state. A lot of people think about Texas as a, a state with a coast, but we're actually a coastal state, 3,300 miles of estuarine uh, shoreline. We've got uh, Houston, we've got Port Arthur, we have uh, Corpus, and we've got Brownsville. Uh, we've got a, a tremendous amount of infrastructure and energy. Uh, we're going to see what I think is Texas, if we lean into it, leading in what I would argue is the low emission future. Uh, this, this push towards hydrogen production, utilizing our natural gas infrastructure, utilizing the ports that we have for uh, renewable um, energy, not just actual production, but the shipments in and out, like places like um, Corpus Christi, and that I think part of uh, this sort of economic engine is looking at places like Houston that are really leaning into uh, carbon capture use and storage uh, that we're going to see renewables not in a, in a way that's competing necessarily with oil and gas but it's actually an expansive approach to Texas being and continuing to be the leader in energy so I look at the border I, I saw it 20 years ago I continue to see it as the growth engine frankly along with the Texas coast of uh, not just Texas but of the the future future of, of, of the United States economy. Thank you uh, for that answer, Jay. Okay, so let's move on to the work of the Land Commission. I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's going to be lots of listeners, I'm sure, that are not exactly sure what the Land Commissioner does. It's, your role would be very varied if you, if you become Land Commissioner. Tell us what, what it currently does, and um, is there anything else you would like it to be doing that you, you might be able to achieve uh, as Land Commissioner? I think the, the first thing that people should should know is it, this is a sacred office. This is the uh, oldest state office uh, in Texas. Uh, it's an independent constitutional office, just like the governor, the attorney general, the land, the the agricultural commissioner, um, the lieutenant governor. And so, when you think about it as an independent position, it's important. Uh, it generates uh, its own revenue, uh, and it does that by managing 13 million acres of public land. Uh, it produces about $1.1 billion a year of revenue. It sends that to the Permanent School Fund, which is the largest K-12 endowment in the country. It also oversees uh, veterans programs through the Veterans Land Board, and that's loans for uh, veterans to acquire land, homes, and do home improvements. And then like you've got here in, in, um, in the Valley and Mission, specifically in Hidalgo County, you've got a nursing home, which is a long-term care facility for veterans. There are nine of those. The tenth, the newest, will be in Tarrant County. And then four veteran cemeteries, one of which you have here as well. Um, we're talking about expanding that footprint and, and um, looking at Laredo, for instance, looking at Lubbock, looking at East Texas, so that our, our, uh, our fallen and their families uh, can, can put veterans uh, to rest near their own homes. Um, another big piece of this office, which most people do not know, is that it manages federal natural disaster relief funding. So in the wake of uh, a presidential declared natural disaster, going back to Dolly, Hurricane Dolly here in the, in the valley, to Hurricane Harvey more recently, even if there are, for instance, um, uh, federal aid that might come in for large wildfires, if you're in rural parts of the state, 
those funds come through the general land office. Right now it's about $8.4 billion in funds uh, that it oversees to rebuild people's homes and also to um, help prepare them for uh, uh, hurricanes and flooding and, and future storms. It's quite a, quite a variety there, a lot of variety in, in what the land commissioner does. Um, so, next question. What is the platform that you're running on? What are you telling the voters that, that what sets you apart? You know, what would your initiatives be as land commissioner? Yeah, one of the things that we're, we're honed in on is because I, I said, you know, this is a, a very um, storied office that it has really important responsibilities and so my, my duty is to describe the office uh, to people and to make sure that we're not distracted by other non-related issues. The, the second is that I'm qualified to do this job. Uh, I've got land management experience, natural resource conservation work. I've started a business, I've run a business, um, I've done work along the U.S.-Mexico border, and I've seen the real good that this office can do. And so we're really focused on what, what one of the land commissioners said is, I'm the most qualified person to run for this office in the last half century. Uh, so, so we'll continue to educate people around the state about the importance of this office, uh, that it affects their um, public school funding, that it affects veterans and their families, that it affects how we manage our natural resources, and that it, if you have someone in that job who understands all of the complex facets, that when and if we get hit by a hurricane or a natural disaster, that I'm determined to make sure that the current average, which is about five to six years, for those funds to get down into our, our neighbors and our neighborhoods and our communities, that we decrease the amount of time uh, that that money hits the ground because even from an economic standpoint, right now that's $8 billion that could be uh, having an economic impact in our communities. Uh, and that generally I think of how we manage our natural resources and how we harness all of that in uh, generations, not in election cycles. Uh, and I have no interest in doing anything else but this particular job. And I think a lot of folks that have run for this office have used it as a political stepping stone. And I don't have any interest in doing that. I think that's a disservice to the post. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, you're on the campaign trail now, uh, going all across the state. What do you hear from the voters? What do you hear from the uh, Texas residents um, on the campaign uh, trail? Um, do they have any particular issues that, as a land commissioner, you could help with? Yeah, I think that you know one of the, the things that, that more and more people from all walks of life, you know, you've got roughly 85% of us that are living in cities, um, that there, there appears to be this sort of rural-urban divide, but a lot of what connects us are our natural resources and also the environment. And everyone was impacted by uh, Winter Storm Uri. And even if you were in the agricultural business, if you were a farmer or rancher, you lost upwards of $600, 700000000 million of revenue during that period. 
So somehow how our environment is changing is impacting you. And so uh, what I'm hearing is, is that whether it's water or it's drought, that we've got to be investing in our natural resources and really be prepared for the quantity of water that we have, how we conserve uh, the, the resources that we do, that if you're living on the coast or you're living in the valley, that we're helping to protect and prepare our communities for uh, more extreme weather. So that's, that's one thing, especially with the hottest December, hottest May, hottest June, hottest July on record, that it is real. It's something that's actually impacting people. I've, I've talked to a lot of ranchers that are having to sell off their cattle right now. And, you know, from the energy side of things, looking at it from, you know, jobs, that I think the jobs of the future, not just in the Valley and the Eagleford and Permian and elsewhere, are going to be both in traditional oil and gas, but also in an expansive approach to energy production. And that may be geothermal production, it may be uh, offshore wind, uh, it may be uh, in wave technology, it could be in, in uh, expansive uh, wind and solar where it makes sense and, and where it's you know environmentally um, taking environmental sensitivities in, into account. Inflation has dropped and so that's obviously something that price of, of gas and, and other uh, goods is on people's minds uh, and, and what I think the General Land Office can do about that is one pay their fair share of our education budget. Right now you know we rank 44th in per student spending in the nation. And we have the largest K through 12 endowment in the country. And so I think that the share of the state's uh, payment of our children's education should be higher. And because the, the land commissioner sits on a board that oversees the permanent school fund, this $50 billion endowment, we should be uh, putting those funds into the classroom. And there are um, triggers for uh, when that endowment performs well, that it actually can trigger a cost of living increase for retired teachers. So there are those things. I think people want, above anything, I think they want competency, and I think they want people who actually care about Texans and not their own careers. And so when we talk about these issues, we're really trying to talk about our, our values and things that I think that, that people really do care about, stewardship, not just of our land, water, and our wildlife resources, but of our neighbors, taking care of our neighbors, about innovation. We, we've always, going back to the steamboat days here in, in the valley and agriculture and look at SpaceX, innovation is in Texans' blood and that I think that that will be how we uh, lead in the future and that this office with things like carbon capture and storage and sequestration that that we can lead in those areas and then finally uh, exceptionalism and so, something that Texans believe that we're special whether you came here a week ago or you've been here for six or seven generations and I want for them to be proud of their land commissioner uh, not just in their handle on the office, but that they actually care, that they want to do the job, that this is a thing that um, they're running for, not for something else. And so that's what we're hearing across the state, and we're going to be doing a dance hall tour uh, that starts here in a couple of weeks to the old Texas dance halls, really to try and bring people together, because I do think there's a lot that people want to rally around right now. Going back to something you said there about the, the uh, permanent school fund, so as land commissioner, 
maybe you, you've only got the one vote, uh, you tell me, but you really feel as Land Commissioner you could influence just what sort of percentage of funds go into our schools to improve funding for public education. You'd have some say there? Yeah, there, in two ways. So there are there's a there's a cap right now on how much uh, funding from our public lands that we generate about a billion dollars a year goes up to the permanent school fund it's it's up to 600 million and there have been years over the last decade where we have not contributed the full amount to the permanent school fund so that's the first thing that I would do as the land commissioner who oversees and is chair of um, the, the school land board, which, which oversees that piece, kind of the revenue generation piece, that we're contributing the full amount to this endowment, and then setting the policy of that permanent school fund investment corporation, where we're sending the, the full amount that we possibly can down into the classroom, because if we do a study that, that establishes the need for the amount of um, new construction, for instance, in the state of Texas for, for schools, because that's essentially what that endowment allows school districts to do is bond against the endowment. So if we can identify the size, we already have the largest K-12 endowment in the country, so how big does it actually need to be? And then set the distribution policy down into the $50 billion educational budget, which is about what our K-12 budget is on an annual basis, and make sure that we're getting as much funding as we possibly can without eating into the, the corpus of that endowment. So, and look, I've talked to people that sit on that board, their state board of education directors. And I think that a lot of those individuals understand the need to fund public education and they want to do the right thing. And so I think that there are parts of Texas politics that may be devoid of the traditional politics. And especially when it comes to our school children and veterans and other things that impact people uh, in their daily lives. Yeah, I do, I think uh, I'll have an impact there. And then one last question based upon what you were saying a moment ago when you were talking about the weather and ranchers are having to give up their herd, you know, sell their cattle. We would associate that orbit with um, the Agriculture Commissioner's work, not the Land Commissioner, but you can't change the weather. What, what is a land co as a Land Commissioner can you do to help the ranching community? Yeah, th there are a couple of things. So. Um we're the, the number one CO2 emitter in the country. And we just happen to have a store um, of poor uh, space underneath our submerged lands off the Texas coast. It's about 10,000 feet down. It's the Miocene layer where we can store the equivalent of 700 years worth of Texas industrial carbon emissions. So literally, we can clean up our air. Uh, and, and decrease the amount that we're contributing to what I believe is you know, changing weather patterns, okay? So that's the first thing. And we can make money in the process. We can generate funds for our school children and it's, it's, a, it's good for the environment and the economy. On the second piece, and I'm gonna add a third, the second is just how we manage our public lands. So almost every county in the state of Texas has some uh, general land office land. And so making sure that um, we're utilizing you know, regenerative uh, agricultural practices, both in our farming and in our grazing, uh, that, that those are up to the standards of the kind of weather. I mean, I just passed by Falcon. It ain't there. 
So how we manage the land that we actually have, that 13 million acres, is really important to our water resources, to our groundwater, to surface water. The Rio Grande went dry up in the Big Bend this, re this, this summer. So being a, a good steward and a partner with other private landowners in, in how we manage our land. And then the third thing is a little bit more detailed, but there's a program called the Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Program. And essentially what it allows landowners to do is to sell at fair market value their development rights. So if they don't want to build homes or they don't want to build an industrial building on a property and they know that, then they can sell those rights off and they get something for it. They lower their property taxes. And that program used to be at the General Land Office. Now it sits at Parks and Wildlife. It's only funded by about $2 million a year. I want to add to that because we're losing working lands at a really high rate. And I want to make sure that we give farmers and ranchers an incentive to, to hold on to it. And for selfish reasons, I want for Texans to be able to, to produce their own food and fiber. And, and that's one way to do it. And ultimately, that's good for the environment because if we keep that space open, that's recharge, uh, that's carbon sequestration, that's, that's one less straw that's, that's in the ground. Um, as we know, we're going to see a doubling of, you know, of the population at least going to be 50 million people potentially by 2050, and so we've got to get, get ahead of, of all this. And we can be, at the General Land Office, kind of a, a lead and an indicator and a model of how, how we can do this, how we can uh, generate revenue and uh, be good stewards of, of our environment and create jobs, frankly, in the process. Well, Jay, thank you so much. Those are all the questions I have. Do, have we missed anything out? Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before you head, head out? No, I would just urge people to pay attention to this race. It's, it's the only open seat of all the statewide offices, and we've got some good indications so far that um, you know, we're, we're, we've out, outraised um, all the down-ballot Democratic candidates this year, um, which is unusual for a land commissioner. And the reason that's important is because it takes resources to educate people about the importance of this office. And so I just would urge people to get educated about it and understand not just what it can do, but who the candidates are and to turn out to vote. Either way, if they're going to vote for me or for my opponent, I just really want people to, to exercise their, um, their uh, freedom to vote and, and do that in, a, in a, a year that I think is really important. You know, we can see the impacts of our political leadership the last 12 months or so, and I think that, you know, it, hopefully people understand that their vote matters. So that, that's what I would leave you with. Jay Kleber, candidate for Land Commissioner of Texas, thank you so much for today's interview. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.